Good morning. This is Bike Talk. This is live, broadcast on November 21st. It's Saturday. It is the Saturday before Thanksgiving, so thank you everyone for listening. Thanks for helping to make us a part of your schedule for the past year and for letting us be alive for a year. We've got got some really interesting news coming up. We are going to be broadcasting live over KPFK starting next month. I don't think, do we have a date yet, Nick? Monthly. Uh, he said early December, and it's going to be a, probably a monthly show. So that was Nick Richard, our producer, who's been very vigilant in getting us the spot on KPFK. We've been podcasting through kpfk.org for the past year. Uh, so it's been because of our listeners, people like you, we, we're actually getting a live show, a monthly show through KPFK. So you can tune in there and hear the best of for each month. You can also call in with any questions to KPFK. If you're listening live, you can always call in with any thoughts or comments, 213-252-0998. I'm here at the studio at Kill Radio with Stephen Bowers and Nick Richard, and we've got some interesting things coming down the pipe for today. So we've got an interview with Mark Muller. Mark Muller is one of the head engineers at Waterford Precision Components. They build Waterford bikes, and they build a whole lot more in Waterford, Wisconsin, which is just outside of Milwaukee. We also... Have an interview with uh, Chris Nuri. Yeah, actually, uh, Nick just asked me. I was I was in Waterford. We have two mics. I could actually there ask you. There we go. I was in Waterford on uh, Thursday. So I got to ride around uh, Milwaukee for a, a, a fit seminar to learn how to do advanced fitting on folks. It was a, it's a really interesting place. I, I, I mean, the weather, it was overcast. It was drizzly. It was about 40, 45 degrees. Yeah. So... But but you know I I think that's great sometimes when you've been just in the uh, the LA sunshine t- you know for so long to get some actual oh yeah it's awesome to have a little bit of a a little bit of variety in your life adds a little spice so d- what tell us about the interview Jim well uh, basically I went to Waterford had a chance to walk around the factory in a pretty amazing place they use I I've had a chance to tour some really really cool bike factories like in. Outside of Boston, I went to Seven. I also went to Independent Fabrications. Waterford was a kind of a whole different experience because a lot of the tools that they use there are, and, uh, and the machines are older. They kind of have a feel of of genuine antiquity and like just they've they've been used for so long and it, it's pretty amazing. Huh. So, so um, they've been around a long time, or they had to start with old machinery. Well, or, or? Well, I have a feeling that Waterford uses a lot of. A lot of the tools that they have are probably hand-me-downs from even original Schwinn locations in Chicago. So, mm. uh, and it definitely it was a it was a little bit different than I thought it was going to be. It was kind of out this small village out in the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah, it was a it was really cool. So it was definitely an an Ooh. eye-opening experience. I'll say that. So. Uh, so the interview with Mark Moeller, Mark Moeller has been building bikes since the early seventies and he's, he can probably explain it a little better than I can. So maybe we should go ahead and go to him. This is Jim with Bike Talk here in, uh, Waterford, Wisconsin with one of the main designers at Waterford, Mark Moeller. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. How are you, sir? Doing well, doing well. So, uh, not like L.A., weather-wise. Oh, man, you don't have to wear sunglasses here. No, <laughs> not very often. Uh, so we're here at the shop, and I want to ask you what your role is here with Waterford. Well, I come with the building because um, <laughs> um, 
we started this facility in 1981 as a Paramount Design Group, a wholly owned subsidiary of Schwinn. And um, when Schwinn uh, filed in 1992, um, Richard and I bought the facility and have, you know, tried to make it on our own ever since, so... How, how has the bike business been since 1992? Um, it's been remarkably steady. I mean, uh, the economy is pretty shaky, and um, uh, OE business is up. We make frames for several other manufacturers, Terry, uh, Rivendell, um, uh, Recumbents for Volet, um, plus, of course, Waterford Gunner, and uh, so... You know, one will be up, one will be down, but it is it has been quite remarkable. Uh, we're we're pretty excited about what we've generated in the last what now ninety three sixteen years, uh, seventeen yeah. years. Yeah. So, when did you start building? When did you get involved with? Well, that things? red bike right there, uh, nineteen seventy four. Yeah. That red bike was made in 1976 in my parents' basement in a far west suburb of Chicago. I gotta say, 76 was a good year. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was probably made in a basement somewhere in 76. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we won't go there for this interview, but the, uh, um, but yeah, the original owner, <clears throat> it's a funny story, because the original owner, uh, was a um, a pilot, a captain on an L-1011, which was TWA's big jet, their big jumbo at the time. But he flew international, and any time he'd go to Italy, he'd take a, take an order for Campi and Sinelli parts, you know, which oh, you could awesome. never get. Yeah. But he stopped by one of our dealers a couple of years ago and says, you still see Mark? And the guy goes, yeah, all the time. And he says, well, here, give him this. And there it is. And we used to ride together, and it is as he had it, you know, it was back in the days. So. I'm going to I'm gonna take a photo of it, I think. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Post it on yeah, there. it's history. It's uh, But then I kept... Uh, I finally moved out, kicked out of my parents' basement. It was getting pretty busy down there. and <laughs> I um, uh, rented a little corner of a speed shop, you know. And uh, so even if you were looking for me, you'd never find me. <laughs> and uh, But that was out in uh, Aurora, Illinois. And then in... 1979, I was a little fed up with the business side of things, and I had gotten to know Frank Berlando real well at Schwinn, a legendary engineer, and, uh, you know, he brought me in, and in 81, I got a, this assignment, and so we've been up here since 81, you know. So... <clears throat> With from Paramount straight through into Waterford, uh, what are you starting to see now? Are you starting to see any kind of resurgence in any of the old school building techniques? I well, 
we haven't changed a lot of the, the building techniques. They've become more demanding um, as the uh, alloys have become more and more refined and more demanding. Um, um, Reynolds 753 was the first, and you had to be certified to do that, okay? That was basically a heat-treated uh, um, 531. Then along came... Um, then along came uh, 853, which was a higher alloy, which could be welded. 753 could never be welded. Um, so we had to learn a little bit more for that, but then the 953, which is in the high-end 900 series stainless, um, you really got to be watching what you're doing, you know, I mean, because there's a very narrow range in which you can braise the stuff, you know, before you scorch it and you start over, you got junk, you know. Now there are I don't know of very many builders who braze 953. Most of them no, I think, yeah. are welding it. Yeah, we had to teach ourselves to weld it. <laughs> yeah, but so I mean, it's like anything. What's old is new, and what's new is old. You know, I mean it. It. I mean these are. I mean yeah, they're time honored, and people say it's retro, it's vintage, yet. It's as new as tomorrow, you know. Wait till they start making uh, you know, <coughs> car frames. I mean, they're just discovering butted tubing. I mean, yeah. and, and they're acting like, you know, oh my God, you know. And it's like you got to be kidding me, you know. But, <laughs> you know, it's not a stamp and spot weld world for car frames anymore you know it's as we try to get the weight out and the strength up you know so uh, now you've got a sticker over here for the true temper platinum ox which was uh right tempers one of true tempers heat treated uh that is their take on 853 in my humble opinion i i you know i <laughs> well, no, no words there. But I, I, yeah. I am going to say that uh, that I used to ride a standard. I'm suspicious. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to ride a standard bike company bike. Uh, oh, okay. a, a BMX bike. And oh, well, and yeah, true, we've made eight trillion bikes for them. Yeah. But, uh, so, and yeah, I mean, it's interesting the range of things that have come out of this. And, and honestly, when I when I rode up here today, I was expecting to see a giant warehouse, and uh, and I got here, and I, it's very humble for the amount of things that that are produced here. How many people do you guys staff? Uh, right around twelve right now, and I do my donut run for everybody. <laughs> Maybe somebody's going hungry, but uh, I don't think so. You know, no, and it is. I mean, everybody here is. Uh, you know, a master at what they do. My oldest son is, uh, braises, um, uh, he's off on his birthday, uh, 
holiday right now, but uh, he um, he's the one that does the brazing on the 953, and uh, he um, kind of carrying on the tradition. Um, he was... Uh, uh, we had adopted him, so we had met him just about the just when we moved up here, and uh, um, so he began working here right after school at twelve, and now he's right forty one. He just turned, you know. So my other boy, the younger one, my uh, regular kid, don't want anything to do with bikes, but he is an athlete. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and the similarities are there, you know. Well, is there anything that you see coming down the pike in the future? I mean, you guys, you guys have got really some amazing new lugs that are coming out. It looks like uh, anything, anything else that you forecast in the future yeah i mean we have variations coming you know it's uh um there are some issues uh coming up in the fork area and um that will be opportunities for us and and uh so we're 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 optimistic going forward. No shortage of ideas, you know. Right. Uh, shortage well, of time and R and D money, and when you, when you got to pay the bills, you know. Yeah. I don't have a staff of ten anymore, like I did at Schwinn. To yeah. Well, it, it's amazing what you guys have done, and uh, oh, thank you. It uh, feels good to be. Uh, you know that people are getting more and more aware of us, and and it is funny. I mean, increasingly, I'll I'll be driving anywhere in the country, and oh you'll pass a group of riders and see a waterford. So it's it's that's what it's all about. People having a good time on something you've done, and and I don't know how much better life can be. When that happens, you know. So. Well, thank you very much, Mark. I thank you. So, and that was Mark Muller uh, yeah. from Waterford, recorded on Thursday. So, uh, and we no, we did not manipulate his voice at all. That is honestly <laughs> how he talks. Thanks so. for getting that footage, Jim. That was cool. That was your was that the first piece of field reporting that you've done for Bike Talk, or have you done others? Um, actually, this next one was is the first one that I did with okay. Chris Nury. So, but uh, yeah, this is just picked up the recorder. So I've been playing a, played around with it a little bit, and that was the first really decent thing that I got, I think. So, but uh, really, really interesting character, Mark Muller. Mm-hmm. Uh, just he looks like a juggernaut, you know. Uh-huh. Like once, kind of looks like he takes a while to get going, but once he gets going and it's at full steam, yeah, it kind of <laughs> looks like that. So, and he, and he's a, he's a big fellow. He looks like he could honestly Sounds plow like through some stuff. So. so he looks like he sounds, you're saying. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, it huh. really, really interesting character. The thing about Wisconsin that was amazing. Everybody was, everybody was super nice. Everybody said, really? yeah, it was, it was, it's the cheese. Uh, it, maybe or it is the, the cheese. Maybe it's the dairy. So keeps people humble. So maybe it's the fact that they all rely on – they all have to rely on other Metal people power. for their for their heat, you know. So mm-hmm. in winter, they, they 
they can't be completely and totally self-reliant, so they, they realize the value of their fellow man. Oh, I don't know what it is, so, huh. but something, something that definitely seems to be missing a little bit here in Los Angeles, but uh, it was, it was we awesome. Have, cause, maybe because we always have heat. Too yeah. much More than enough of it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm angry because there's too much sun. <laughs> well, it becomes there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> I mean, I find myself hiding inside, you know, yeah. when it's too sunny. You know that I mean. That's crazy. Used to I used to love the winters back in uh, Virginia because a really snowy, really crappy day, you just get pizza and have a movie night, you know, mm-hmm. or a movie day. And there's really not not much of a reason to do that here in Los Angeles. Maybe maybe everybody in Los Angeles needs more movie days. Is so. that a, is in that this, a, the movie center of yeah, the are U.S.? You, are you leaving an opening to talk about Kilredo's movie night tonight? That is an excellent. An that excellent really opening good. right you, into that. Was there. that intentional? Or? <laughs> uh, we so there is a there is a benefit for Kill Radio tonight for yeah. those of you listening. Where where is that happening? It's at Toe, which is sixteen fifty Sixth Street at Santa Fe. Um, it's a really great space. It's got a, a bunch of independent artists, artisans, and uh, do-it-yourself people. Just keep the space open to do different things. They have classes and uh, like they. Beer brewing class um, and other things. We we assembled LED uh, bike lights one time there, and um, tonight they're having a benefit for Kill Radio to keep to keep our little station on the air. So if you're listening live life. and not on podcast, you're listening to KillRadio.org. Kill Radio has been going now for how many years? Like nine years since the 2000 Democratic National Convention. That's when we came out of with the IMC Indie Media. Turned into Kill Radio. So this is this is kind of this little closet online radio station that needs mm-hmm. that does need some support and needs some oh, help. Yeah. So if you if you are interested in checking out some good movies, uh, I, I don't think that these are super long movies, right? These are uh, well, there was a documentary and then a feature, but yeah, is there just a double feature? Um, yeah, down at Toe, sixteen fifty sixth Street at Santa Fe. It's a question for you guys. Let's say someone's listening, loves our show, wants to support us, but can't make it tonight. Uh, is there good a way question. they can? Yeah, is there a way they can send a little something our way? Mm. Yeah, we we should have a donate link on on the website. The website is a little bit uh, out of date, so hopefully that if it's not up there, it'll be up there soon. And through C S E E, social and economic entrepreneurs. I think that's what it stands for. They they have they're our umbrella nonprofit org organization, and they um, through their website you can donate to Kill Radio if you can't find it on our Great. page. That's cool. Awesome. Yeah. So for those listening, once again, recap movie night tonight, um, and getting right back into no, into yeah. Wisconsin. I uh-huh. just just got back from Wisconsin here, and I was there for a seminar that was led by a fellow by the name of Chris Nury. Uh-huh. Now. Chris Nury is the owner and one of the developers of certain parts of the software and hardware for FitKit. And the original FitKit, it's basically a way of determining plugging measurements, body measurements, into a series of equations Mm -hmm. and coming up with a, a developmental fit for cyclists that is safe for them. Uh, cycling mm. is very much a repetitive sport. You are continually moving your legs. Mm. You are leaning on your arms. You are absorbing bumps through your body. So if you're not careful with how you set up 
your bicycle, you can develop repetitive use injuries. Right. So uh, the Fit Kit is designed really to help people find find a comfortable range in which to put their put their pieces. And really, you want to work off of like your pedals, your seat, and your handlebars. Those are the three main contact points. So uh, so. Mm-hmm. I pulled Chris aside. He's from Billings, Montana, and I was able to talk to him a little bit. So I think the next interview I got is the result of that. He was a little unprepared, so we may have to talk to him again in the future. But I definitely, I really want to thank Chris because he did loan me a pair of pants. I, I forgot to pack anything other than jeans, and I was Thanks able to use his uh, use his shorts, like uh, his zip away pants, to to go for a long ride on Thursday. So thank you so much, Chris, and the, you'll be seeing those in the mail soon. That's that's cool. <laughs> that's love. All right. This is Jim C. I'm here with Bike Talk and Chris Nury with the original Fit Kit. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself and explain your involvement with the Fit Kit? Hi, I'm uh, Chris Nury and uh, own the uh, owner and uh, developer and uh, uh, president of Fit Kit Systems. And uh, what exactly is Fit Kit? Uh, FitKit's a system that uh, allows dealers to be able to standardize their uh, fitting system so that it makes them a lot uh, more able to uh, be able to service their customers a little bit better, get a little bit more accurate fit from the, uh, from the get-go, and uh, be able to uh, uh, set up and position their bikes a little bit more quickly and efficiently and uh, do it in a systematic way so that the rest of their uh, staff is able to, uh, to, to be brought on board uh, pretty quickly and now, how is this beneficial for your average cyclist? Uh, the average cyclist is going to uh, gain a benefit uh, simply because they're going to be uh, confident that they're positioned right away, and uh, and it gives them a platform to be able to develop uh, their, their fit later on. Do you think that FitKit is a, one of those tools that helps to prevent injuries in the future? Do you think it can be sort of like preventative medicine for cyclists? Uh, a good fit is always uh, uh, preventative from a standpoint that uh, that if you're in the right position to begin with and, and you're allowed to have the freedom of movement around the center of the adjustability of the components, then uh, then you're able to uh, prevent injury that way uh, simply because you don't have to uh, uh, um, put up with the uh, um, uh, with the uh, it effects of poor fit later on since it is a repetitive exercise or repetitive uh, sport it's real important to get that good fit to start out with and you so got to start with a good platform it is possible to mm-hmm. maybe end up with a repetitive injury from an due improper to, due fit. To poor fit yes yeah, uh-huh. okay uh, so how did you develop fit, the fit kit and uh, when uh, when did that happen uh, a guy named Bill Farrell actually developed the fit kit in uh, in 82. And uh, and basically then started uh, commercializing the fit kit in '84, and uh, it was developed through uh, em- empirical uh, data, just measuring a lot of riders, uh, uh, defining really the, the field of riders that we wanted to uh, we wanted to measure, and uh, and one of the high. Uh, priorities was a, a very low instance of injury, so we wanted to make it first safe and then developmental, which allowed again that platform to be able to uh, to develop from. Um, 
uh, I became involved with the fit kit uh, early on in uh, probably 80, uh, 86. Uh, Bill Farrell and I got together, and, uh, and I had a retail store in, uh, in Billings, Montana. Uh, been in retail for 25 years, uh, and then uh, decided to purchase the kit uh, in '94 from Bill. He wanted to go back to, uh, to teaching, and, uh, and we've done, uh, done quite a bit of development since then because the industry has uh, increased. So, uh, pretty much all the development that's on the uh, the kit right now has been uh, has been since we've purchased it, and, and certainly with the RADs, we've done quite a bit of changes there because we've seen a lot of. Uh, 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 um, a lot more pedal systems that have come on the market. So, so the RADs are basically a cleat mounting system. Yes, right? the, the rotational adjustment device that uh, that uh, it allows the dealer to be able to uh, determine what the what the naturally rotated gate for that rider is and position the cleat around that. So whatever's going on in the hip, the knee, or the ankle, uh, you need to set the cleat with respect to that so that the rider's got a natural position. So you know how much float to put in it uh, so that you can assess that and then also set the cleat so that uh, they're in that again that non-injurious position because that's really where the cleat or where the fitting is going to start is at the foot. Once you've got the platform. Then we'll start the fitting at the foot and, and move up from there. So, pretty, are, pretty important part. What what components? What three parts or what parts are the most important thing about a fit? Where 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 does a should a person look for their contact points to really be changed by a good fit? Uh, well, contact points on the bike, of course, are the it's obvious that you know your your seat and and your hands and your feet and uh, and number one we've got to position the motor over the bicycle which is of course your seat and uh, that's got to be positioned so that your legs can transfer power to that and that has a lot to do with the seat tube angle and four and a half position of saddle where that's clamped and then of course we start at the foot come up from there and then of course the reach and the drop to the bars has to do with uh, with the comfort and that's really uh, where the, the your longevity on the bike is going to be once you've got the motor for the power output, then of course you got to have your hands in the right spot so that you can uh, stay on the bike for a longer period of time. Right now, you've talked a little bit about the development of better cleats of different shoe systems. What's happening now with sloping top tubes and different frame geometries? Is fit more important than ever? Uh, fit's more important than ever simply because we have an aging rider. We have we have a, a greater uh, portion of aging riders that are getting, i.e., I, you know, folks that are <coughs> 35, 40, 45, 50, that uh, that are getting into the uh, into the sport, and the sloping top tube simply accommodates where they want to ride. Uh, they want that that handlebar up and back just a little bit more to provide a more comfortable fit. Simply because as we get older, our flexibility starts to go away and, and those kind of things. But yet, the bike companies are are doing a very good job of of uh, of coming up with uh, real competitive, uh, <clears throat> fast designs around that that higher front end geometry. So th the only way to really do that is to is to, to compensate for that shorter top tube, uh, higher end things is just to to have a uh, uh, a sloping top tube, and that's just a, a you know a, a, a byproduct of that style or that design of the frame. So awesome. Um, so where can we find out about Fitkit? Uh, our uh, website is uh, bikefitkit.com, and then you can always uh, give me a call at the uh, at the shop if you'd like. I'd be more than happy to, to talk to you. We can uh, you can search for a dealer on the website, or if you'd like to give me a call, I'd be certainly happy to address anything there. So, Chris, anybody that you'd like to thank, or anybody who's made a big impact on you and in your time in the bike industry, and particularly with the Fitkit. 
Uh, of course, uh, Bill and I, uh, you know, go way back and, uh, and you know, credit Bill with all the work that he did uh, in the fit kit and just paving the way so that I can go ahead and do the development that, you know, that we've done uh, with the software and the different, uh, and the different products. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, probably, uh, probably the main one. Mm-hmm. Chris, thank you so much. You bet. And uh, we wish you the best of success. Thank you. All right. So that was Jim's first interview, right? That is correct. That would that would have been my first interview with the uh, with the brand new recorder that I got. And um, it was a cool recorder too. Works. It it does work. Radio That's Shack fifty dollars. Yeah. So if you're you're interested in providing content to the to the show too, yeah. uh, good point. Pick yourself up a recorder. Our email address livebiketalk at gmail dot com. Uh, we do screen all content, so just in in the event that. Uh, you're just farting into your recorder and sending it mm. to us, which is probably not going to make it online. But, but send it anyway. Yeah. So uh, we were talking a little bit about bike fit, about some of the stuff that we see. This is this is a pretty this is a pretty important topic. We've got a lot of listeners here. Uh, whether you've been a cyclist your entire life or mm. whether you're brand new to it, that may that may be having problems with their fit. Yeah. Yeah. So, we were talking on the during the interview and yeah. Steve. Well, yeah, it just it brought, brings up a lot Morally of Morally conflicted. Yeah. Um, I, it's not uncommon f- for me to see bicyclists out there that I it's, can just very clearly see are either their, um, their seat is too high by a lot or it's too low by a lot. And um, I was cautioned very early in my bicycling life that definitely at least having the seat too high can be can can lead to major injuries to your knees and yeah. um, biking with a seat too low can't be too good for you either. But I will actually be kind of morally conflicted sometimes. I'll see people. I know their seat is too high. They're kind of doing that thing where they ride, ride over. Um, they, 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 you can just see them kind of traveling back and forth over their saddle with every each each pedal from side to side. Uh-huh. And I've actually stopped people, young kids. Um, because I, they, I, I'm sure they just don't realize that that can lead to problems. I mean, yeah. if you're just doing a little biking here and there, probably you can get away with it. But if you're putting a lot of miles on, it can actually do damage. I don't know exactly what kind of damage. Maybe Jim can tell us. So, so if your seat's too too high or too low, there too are two high things that with. you can do. You can yeah. hyperextend or hypoextend your knee. Yeah. Now, hyperextend generally is when you're not extending it far enough, mm-hmm. and hypoextension is, is usually when you're overextending your knee. So you don't want to... So hyper is when it's too sh- the seat's too low, and hypo is when it's too high. I think that's right, yeah. So And, and you can... Uh, you can feel different pains. The one that is, there's one that's underneath your kneecap, and there's one that's down at the bottom of your, uh, of of your knee in the front. And the one down in the bottom of your knee in the front generally is going to tell you that uh, your seat. One of two things: your seat is, uh, your seat is too low, or you're starting off riding too many miles too fast. Yeah. So, and and honestly, the, a lot of the in, the injuries that folks get from riding bicycles does have to do with ineffective preparation so mm-hmm. uh like a and riding in the and or riding in the wrong gear at the wrong time so one of the things that i would definitely recommend is not buying a bike and then immediately going out for an 80 mile ride your first ride you know you want to build up 
uh, and mm-hmm. as you build up, as then everything. you build mu- muscle memory. And when you build muscle memory, it, it helps to prevent major injuries from, mm. from occurring. The other thing is you do want to stretch. And a lot of folks don't think about this. That's a pretty important one. So Yeah, you don't see a lot of people stretch before biking. Yeah. So um, you were you were mentioning something about seeing some of the uh, some of the day laborers. Yeah, I um, I often see folks who look like as though they could be day laborers riding bikes, and they'll be kind of like these off the shelf type bikes. And it seems like it's not uncommon that I will see them with the seat either too high or too low, and um, I just. There's a part of me which thinks I should I should tell this person, um, especially if they're going to be putting on a lot of miles and maybe because they may be going to injure themselves a little bit. But I don't usually do that. I have stopped a person or two, uh, but not recently, and told them, you know, your seat is very Steve, much just the stopping people doing good deeds, doing hey, God's work, trying to hear <laughs> bike talk. Um, we we just received a phone call here from. Kevin Sparrow, uh, one of the Milwaukee natives that I met while I was there, he is a, currently working as a messenger, and he's one of the uh, co- contributors and editors of COG magazine. Um, Kevin Sparrow has kind of an illustrious history with the bicycle world. He uh, also helped to found the Coat Paint Factory up in Portland, Oregon, that works hand-in-hand with uh, with Vanilla Bicycle Works, uh, Sasha uh, what is Sasha's last name, Kevin? Sasha White up in up in Portland. So, uh, Kevin Sparrow's on the phone now, and Kevin, you're online. Hey, how's it going? Good. Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. We're having LA weather here in Milwaukee. That is awesome. What? How? What is it? Like 50 degrees there? Uh, uh I think it's like 62 today. Oh, that's that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, Kevin, first of all, I want to thank you. While I was in Milwaukee, you actually took me to the uh, bronze fonds the statue of the bronze fonds of rally that was pretty pretty interesting so same, yeah, that's what milwaukee's famous for yeah bronze now never yeah. beer anymore <laughs> good you and your city hall there is incredibly cool too i i, I was really impressed yeah it's, i wish i could have shown you the inside of it um it's actually hollow straight down the middle which is it's really beautiful you go up to the eighth floor and uh you can look all the way down really uh architectural masterpiece that's awesome well so you are in milwaukee now you you have quite a history in the in the bike industry in the bike world now you are uh you've started cog magazine can you tell us a little bit about your involvement with cog magazine well yeah i'm a partner i'm a founding member of cog we started it uh well we started talking about it in um beginning of summer of 2007 me peter and eric um we got together um, I've worked with those guys um, for a number of years, messengering in Milwaukee. Um, yeah, that's uh, basically how it started, and our first issue came out in August of '07. So, Cog has gained a lot of popularity really quickly. How, how many play, how many issues do you print these days, and how far are they distributed? Um, they're distributed all over the world. Um, you know, uh, I just sent a, uh, a package to Thailand just the other day. Um, all over Europe, uh, Japan, were really popular because of our correspondent and contributor, uh, Yohei, over there. 
We have a distributor in um, Asia, Cogmag Asia, his name's Nick, um, and, uh, you know, throughout Europe, um, South America, um, the United States, of course, and Australia. That's awesome. So I was talking last week, we were fortunate enough to have Eric and Peter on the show, and talking with those guys, we got to hear some stories of things that changed their life through COG Magazine. Most most notably was LaRoyka. Uh, I want to ask you if there's anything that you've done since you've been with COG that has been kind of kind of mind-blowing. Oh, I just recently got back from Tokyo for the Cycle Messenger World Championship, and we also had a photo um, exhibition there. Um, basically, we, it was basically a, a mini uh, North American handmade bicycle show, it turned out to be, um, with a whole bunch of our photographs um, printed on canvas. Um, that was that was quite a trip. Yeah. Um, I was in I was in Tokyo um, in 2000. I think it was 2000, early 2007. Um, but I was you know I was backpacking. I stopped in Tokyo and I went into Thailand and stuff. So I didn't have a bicycle. Uh, but this time I did have my bike, and it was a completely different city. Um, having a bike there is really amazing the streets are so clean you never have to worry about flats people um i can go on and on about it but people did people were actually riding tubulars on the street yeah um, streets are so clean i couldn't believe it um but yeah that was pretty much the highlight of um this whole thing we call cog magazine besides uh, so putting it out and meeting everybody um so how, how worried about theft were you while you were in japan how many locks did you bring I just, you know, I didn't even have to bring a lock, honestly. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, that's one thing I noticed that uh, when I went there the first time is nobody locked their bike there. Um, theft in Japan is uh, really frowned upon, and um, I, I didn't have to worry about it at all. I did bring my U-lock, of course, um, just because it's something I always pack when I travel with my bike. But yeah, I didn't have to worry about it at all. It's pretty amazing. So you you came to Cog from working as a messenger, but before that, you had taken a, a one year hiatus and you'd gone to Portland and you'd helped to start Code. Can you tell us what Code is and how you were involved with it? Um, Code was a paint shop started by uh, Sasha White um, of Vanilla Bicycles. Basically, um, I expressed interest in um, in painting bicycles here in Milwaukee. I apprenticed a guy named Jason Sanchez. He's he's famous for uh, painting um, DR cycles in Madison and uh, Johnny cycles. Yeah. So um, I started uh, apprenticing him, and he showed me you know basics of painting bicycle frames. And um, I got involved with Vanilla because my, an old friend of mine, um, Scott Ramsey, he uh, worked underneath Sasha as his assistant. And uh, Sasha decided to start a paint shop, and that's how you know my name came up through Scott. And uh, I moved out there, and I started it up. Um, I learned everything I know from a guy named Jason Weber. He uh, worked at Spectrum Powder Works, wow. powder coater and wet painter there. Yeah, and yeah, he taught me everything. Um, everything I know. Uh, I've seen. I, so, I, 
I've seen some of your the bikes that you did that came out of code. The one that was the replica of the Sears bike. It, it's incredible. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so, uh, how long were you there setting up code, and uh, and what kind of transition did you make out of it? Um, I was there for a little over a year. Yeah. Uh, when I got there, Colt was basically just exclusively doing vanilla frames. And um, we, Jason was painting there, I think, four months before I got there. Right. So he kind of set up the shop and bought everything that um, they needed. Uh, minus powder coating. Powder co- we didn't start powder coating until four months after um, I got there. Yeah. So um, we, when I got there, basically I just you know uh, restarted, re- relearned everything that I learned under uh, Jason here in in Milwaukee. Um, Jason gave me a ton of information at once and just, you know, threw me to the wolves. Started, <laughs> I just basically just started painting. Um, I started painting my own bikes uh, as practice bikes before I um, started Vanilla. Um, so, and, and, you know, other practice frames. Um, but, yeah, it was it was quite a trip. It was a, a really fast learning curve. Um I think the first bicycle that I painted was a, a vanilla Speedwagon, yep, like lacrosse bike, um, who my my good friend has actually. So it's kind of it's kind of neat that it's still in the family. So, for those folks that are that are listening that uh, are not familiar with vanilla, what can you tell us even what vanilla is? What vanilla bikes are? Well, vanilla bicycles is basically Sasha White. Yeah, um, builds every single frame from the ground up and um yeah they're they're world world class frames he does you know being a frame painter you see raw frames and um you know you can tell the difference between a world class frame and a frame that has been made by somebody that doesn't have a lot of experience um and I can tell you that Sasha builds some pretty bicycles. Yeah. <laughs> some very, very, very nice, nice bicycles, and uh, they're done flawlessly. And he is uh, he's a great builder. Just just to give folks some kind of idea here, Sasha White has like a four year waiting list for his bike, something like that, right? Uh, it's five years, but they're they took uh, they they're not taking orders anymore. Yeah. Uh, just because yeah, five years is a long time, you know. Uh, a lot can happen in five years, and he doesn't—he doesn't feel comfortable taking orders from people for that long a time, which is understandable. I mean, a five-year waiting list. Talk about job security. Yeah. <laughs> you know that for the next five years you're gonna be you're gonna be busy. So. Yeah, but what if he's riding his bike and uh, you know something you know is. Yeah. He, <laughs> exactly. So uh, it's it's understandable that he doesn't want to uh, you know go over five years but he does um he does have a project um he works hand in hand with mike DeSalvo um called uh project speed Plugin, and that's a really interesting uh project that he's working on so so we're gonna get back the speed wagons are something that like people can get that's a little bit takes a little bit less time right 
Yes, yeah, it's a much shorter wait. I yeah. think it. Uh, I think. I think the wait. I mean, you put your deposit in, and uh, you you basically get it within a few months, depending on what what speed bugging model you want. They're doing a track model, they're doing a road model, and a cyclocross model, single speed and geared. Awesome, awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you get back kind of to where you are now. You've moved out of Portland. You're now back in Milwaukee. I am uh, back in Milwaukee. Yeah. You are working as a messenger now, Kevin. How's that going? It's going great. I mean, I missed it. Um, I worked. I've been working as a messenger on and off since '99, the fall of '99. So, um, yeah, I just had my 10 year anniversary awesome. working as a messenger, and it's it's great. I moved back. Um, I just had a, a a daughter with my wife, and I just wanted to be closer to family. That's that's congratulations on the on the new daughter. Thanks. Yeah. So, um, any any advice? I asked Shaggy this when I was in Milwaukee. I want to ask you too. Any advice for rookies out there? Rookie messengers. Rookie messengers. <laughs> oh, keep calling. I mean, there's hardly any work. I mean, there's there's work to n- enough to keep all of our uh, all of the veterans uh, busy, but. You know, it's a pretty hard gig to get into, especially in Milwaukee. Yeah. Um, there's not many messengers. There's under 20 messengers, and uh, there's uh, three companies. And I mean, it's I mean, it's slim pickings when it comes to work. So just keep trying. I guess. Do you, do you see the face of of messenger bike messenger work changing? Yeah, definitely. I see it moving towards more uh, physical objects. Like uh, the food that can't be emailed, you know. Like yeah. a lot of a lot of messengers, especially in New York or and um, and uh, San Francisco, are moving towards food. Um, and I also see a lot of uh, messengers working for bigger businesses becoming indie. Um, I uh, Chaz in San Francisco just opened up. Uh, a new uh, messenger company after coming back from Tokyo, actually, and um, and uh, he's fast, man. Finding is fast. Yeah, he, <laughs> he got he got back from Tokyo, and he realized that he didn't have a job anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so he uh, he started up his his own company, and I guess they're having great success. So that's awesome. Cheers to Chaz. Is there is there anything else that you'd like to add here? Um. Well, thanks for having me on the show, man, and thanks to all, all of our contributors to COG. It's a little monster that's grown into uh, a great thing. That is awesome. You guys got any, any big projects with COG in the future? I mean, I know that you've done, like, the the sponsored the polo championship there in Milwaukee. you guys have anything coming up? Um, I'd like to do another photo annual hardcover book. That would be really fun. That was, you know, our first photo annual book, hardcover. Um, it was definitely an experience that we've never never done before and it was it was a hassle but it was uh it was definitely worth it. I'd like to do another book. I'd like to continue traveling, which is awesome. Continue meeting great people. Um and yeah. Just like to see it. Well Kevin, um, thank going. you so much for, for calling in today and and interviewing with us, I, we wish you 
the greatest success, both as a messenger and with COG, and as a new father. So congratulations once again. Thanks, Jim. And uh, look forward to hearing from you again in the future. Yeah, totally. Come back to Milwaukee. I'll show you more of the bronze fonds. Uh, Maybe we can tour the Miller Brewing Factory. Uh, even check out the Pabst Theater. That place is that place was cool. Thank you so much, yeah. man. No problem. Cheers. Okay. Have a good one. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Good interview. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin, for uh, calling in there. We uh, we had recorded something in in Milwaukee, but. I think uh, he wanted a little bit, little bit, something a little bit more polished, I guess. So I don't know if that interview came across that way, but <laughs> uh, nothing like a live interview to make you feel polished. Yeah. Um, so I've seen Cog, and Cog is a really good-looking magazine. Yeah, I was. In, oh. I was impressed as well. <laughs> <coughs> For those and of you who heard well, of the, may have just no heard the the <laughs> hopeful squashing of a of a water bug. The, the infamous nice. Los Angeles water bug. So, and, and we did have somebody that just uh, came into the studio a couple minutes ago. Um, let's see if we can get him in here. Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy. Jeremy, JeremyGrant.com. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, I'm JeremyGrant.com, and I'm with, here representing the uh, Bike Riders Collective. Writers. W-R-I-T-E-R-S. Apostrophe S. So, so what's happening with the Bike Riders Collective these days? Well, I brought you a little update here. On a, on a few events that we have going on. Okay, so for for those who aren't aware, the Bike Riders Collective is what? Uh, it's a dozen or so um, r- uh, riders or bloggers uh, on the web and um, here in Los Angeles that we're working um, on getting cycling to be a more normalized activity here in L.A. So we write about it and we blog about it. We host events. Um, right now we're working on the L.A. Um, the LA's best bicycle plan. Where where could we find out about this? Well, I can tell you that the uh, the bike working group is a passionate uh, group about the you know working on the LA bike plan, and we encourage all cyclists to come and be involved in a third bike working group. This is occurring at 1 p.m. on Saturday, November 28th. This is the Saturday after Thanksgiving. So next Saturday, 1 p.m. at the Hollywood Adventist Church. Uh, that's on by the 101 freeway and uh, Santa Monica, I believe. Okay. Yeah, you can find that on on the web. Uh, in our last meeting, we established the principles that will frame LA's best bicycle plan. The uh, plan that's for cyclists, by cyclists. Um, we'll be continuing to write the plan and outlining a backbone bikeway network um, on a map, and this is going to connect all the four corners of Los Angeles. So this is in response to L.A.'s bike plan. Yeah, the L.A. bike plan, uh, you know, there's a lot of problems with it, and um, we're just going to go ahead and ride our own and, and make draw our own maps um, from a cyclist perspective. Is there is there a website where I can find out about this? Uh, yes, you can. You can go to www.labikeplan.com um, for more information or to make a comment that will be sent um you know, right on to the riders of the the bike plan, and then that also gets forwarded to the city as well, right? Yeah, it's get forwarded it forwards to us and then to the city. Um, so you know, we, we've been involved in all the meetings. Um, there was a half a dozen um, public meetings. Um, we've already, as I said, we already held two um, public workshops, kind of held in a, a town town meeting sort of style. 
So um, there's a lot of democracy there. So that, that's a good way for people to kind of get involved on the ground level uh, right. and really be involved in what's happening. And if there's enough support, then hopefully you can generate support in the city for L.A.'s best bike plan developed by bicycle riders here in Los Angeles. That's true. Um, also, the Bike Riders Collective, um, we toured Long Beach with Jeff Mapes this last week. Um, he's the author and journalist. He's the author of the book Pedaling Revolution. And he preached about the importance of a large, passionate community of cyclists in order to improve the livability of our city on a greater scale. And for those who are listening, we have actually we've spoken with Jeff Nate, oh, yeah, yeah, a few uh, few months ago, and really in- incredible guy. Um, but it's, I mean, it's great to hear that you guys are getting a lot of press now. Some of it is kind of accidental, it sounds like. sounds like some of the folks in some of the neighborhood councils and even some of the city councils here in Los Angeles have been putting LABikePlan.com into their literature instead of LABikePlan.org, which is the city's website. So you guys have actually been getting a lot yeah, of press. Yeah, that can be a fortunate mistake. Yeah. And then also, I was one of the interesting things that I, I was listening to um, one of the other NPR radio networks and... Uh, they had an interview, I believe, with, is it Ted Rogers or Jeff Rogers? I, one of the fellows who does, um, who works on one of the bike blogs, and he oh, was Oh, uh, Biking in L.A. I think it's Ted Rogers. Ted yeah, Rogers. he's recently yep. on the Bike Riders Collective. Yeah, and he was, he was really promoting the uh, Cyclist Bill of Rights, which is something that is also advocated through your page. If it's I'm an integral to the building of the LA's best bicycle plan. And the Cyclist Bill of Rights is something that has basically been passed by almost every neighborhood council yeah. now. And uh, it's it was done it's done in such a way that doesn't require the city to actually change anything in their infrastructure. It just requires education if I'm correct here. Right. The laws are all there and they're in place. It's it's just the rights aren't being given on the road. And so, actually, isn't it the case that <clears throat> the Bike Writers Collective were the ones to come up with the Cyclist Bill of Rights? Yes, so, yeah. yes, that's true. Um, but, you know, bike advocacy doesn't always have to be about arguing policy and debating politics, you know. In fact, bike fun is the remedy for gaining more activist-minded cyclists. And, you know, Jeff Mapes, he, he mentioned that. Um, in conjunction with the L.A. Greensters, the Bike Riders Collective, we're hosting a El Nino toy ride to show that cyclists are a strong, positive um, force of change. Um, so just mark your calendars for 1 p.m. Sunday, December 6th, at the Vermont Santa Monica Station. And uh, bring toys? Yeah, uh, unwrapped toys would be great. Uh, let me just uh, tell you the little story I have about this. Um, recently, St. Anne's, uh, a social service for neglected women and children, in the area, they're right here in um, East Hollywood, basically, Wilshire Center area. Um, they came to us and they told us that their annual sponsor for the Christmas yeah. children's party, uh, they're not going to get their toys this year. So she said, uh, Jeremy, can you help us out? So I said, certainly, I can organize um, some riders. We can find some donations. And uh, we could just, you know, shine as a, a cycling community, bringing joy to the hearts of 150 kids, you know, that otherwise wouldn't have toys. So 150 toys is what we're looking for, pretty much, or, or even even double. It would be great for every kid to get two toys. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, if just one person brought one toy and showed up to the ride, you know, 
that that would show that St. Anne's, you know, that we care about them at least. But you know, bring one or two toys. Um, you know, I can do I can do that. I can afford that. I mean, that's uh, I mean, it costs six thousand dollars a year for a car. You know, and if we're not driving a car. We have a little bit of extra money. So bring two $3,000 toys. Yeah. <laughs> a <laughs> vanilla, go, maybe a vanilla bike. to the $3,000 toy store. It's right next to the 99-cent one. No, seriously, though, 99-cent toy store. Just pick up a couple toys. That's not uh, bad, yeah. And, and come out, join some folks. You'll have fun. You'll be proliferating the idea that cyclists are having fun on the streets. You will be actively involved in donating to the rest of the community. So, so come on out. Be a responsible cyclist. Right. I think this is one of those well-attended rides. Oh, uh, like, this actually occurs. This is like an emergency El Nino ride. I mean, this is not forecast in, oh, in the event. Am I thinking of Parallels Ninos? No. Yeah, well, well yeah. we could be thinking of the toy ride that occurs the next weekend. But, yeah. the, you know, the Christmas party is, is going to be held in two weeks. So we just need an emergency action by all the cyclists to show. Mm-hmm. So, um... Is this also going to be uh, on the schedule of events through LABikePlan.com? Uh, you know, for more information on this El Nino ride, you can look to www.lagreenstreets.com. Um, it's also posted to www.midnightriders.com. Okay. Maybe Bike Boom as well? Bike Boom tends to be a very Yeah, I'll try to add it to Bike Boom oh, too. So for those listening, definitely keep a heads up. This is going to be... Sunday, December sixth, one p.m. One p.m. Where? What's the station stop? Vermont at? and Santa Monica Station. Vermont and Santa Monica. So right there by LACC. Right there, it's uh, I believe some people call it Red Quarters. Red Quarters. <laughs> and which is interesting today, the sheriff, the new sheriff in town, having a a little public debate meeting at uh, there is a new sheriff in town, <laughs> fellows, at uh, LACC. And one of the things that was being brought to his attention this morning was the the rash of bike theft here in Los Angeles. Mm. So uh, just to kind of put the words out, word out, LACC has been instrumental in helping to provide spaces for not only the neighborhood councils to organize, but also for cyclists and for other for other meetings. So Red Quarters, Vermont, Santa Monica, Sunday, December 6th. Any, what else do you have going on here, Jeremy? Do you care to uh, possibly self-promote? Um, well, I can recall some of the activities that we, even more that we did with the uh, LA Greensters. That would be. I, I know that you guys have uh, have had two movie screenings here recently. What uh, what else? Uh, have been yeah, doing? we we uh, organized with the LA um, bicycle, uh, LA County Bicycle Coalition to transfer their. Uh, bicycle valet equipment to the South Bay 350 International Climate Event. And normally, um, well, the the equipment's kept here in East L.A., and normally they would take a car or a truck and drive it down. So that's 30-something miles down to um, the South Bay. And we decided we'd step in as L.A. Greensters and show we don't need to burn fuel to to make a transport of equipment like that. And uh, we had a great showing. We had probably 50 or more bikes there, and it was right along the, the, um, the I think it was the Hermosa Beach Pier, and you have the bikeway right there, the bike path. And so we just got a lot of um, funky bikes. Um, it was really cool, but we didn't burn any gas. So Where do you guys keep your fleet? Um, our fleet? <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining you have this, like, huge assortment of trailer bikes and cargo bikes uh pretty much we just 
we all keep them personally. Um, we don't have a central location, so it becomes quicker, you know, to... There is no hangar anywhere, is what no, you're saying. I mean, we're, we're looking at if, if someone could, yeah, give us a space to, you know, hold all our stuff, that'd be awesome. We're looking for actually, um, like, interlocal locations where things could be stored, like um, heavy um, cycling valet equipment. If you're listening and you have been... Up until very recently, holding the Spruce Goose in a uh, garage somewhere in East Hollywood. Give us a call, 213-252-0998. We would love to get in touch with you and start storing some fleets you of know, Greenster bicycles. I don't know how big the bigger ones are or if they would fit in one of these bike lockers, but uh, that would be kind of a cool place to keep them. Uh, there's these lockers that the Metro now has. Um, and they have these neat pods. There's like 16 of them in a circle at the Vermont and Wilshire Station. And anyway, that'd be kind of cool because everyone could maybe get a key and you could just access Yeah, you, we, we figure you could organize, uh, you know, who has a key and you'd be able to call and make reservations. And, you know, equipment or bikes could be stored. It just makes um, cycling around L.A. a lot easier because, you know, going across the city... You know, a few times a day, it gets tiring, especially when you have, you know, 100 pounds of equipment. Right, right. So, just kind of to wrap up, you've, you've, you guys have been very involved late, lately, not only with the master plan meetings, the LA Bike Plan, uh, City of Los Angeles master plan meetings, but also with the Bike Riders Collective and with the Greensters' involvement in, uh, in quite a few events. So we can find out about that at lagreensters.com. Yes. Um, we can find out about the Master Bike Plan and the Bicycle Riders Workshops at labikeplan.com. And uh, for more information, the next, the next Bike Riders Collective meeting is Hollywood Adventist Church. Yes. And that's at Santa Monica right off the 101. Right, at the Hollywood Adventist, and it's... Uh uh, November 28th. It's Saturday after Thanksgiving. So if you're interested, please come out, join up. Uh, anything else that you would you would like to mention here? No, I'd just like to thank you, um, you guys, for the, the show. And, you know, just come to the Bike Riders Collective uh, website. And uh, for, for me, you can check me out at jeremygrant.com. Jeremygrant.com. Jeremygrant.com, thank you so much thank for, you. for being here today. Um we are starting to work our way into the last 12 minutes here of the of the show and wanted to remind everyone today is going to be the first Saturday Cranksgiving that uh, has happened it's the ninth year anniversary of Cranksgiving so it's going to be a 99 cent store nine stop special so if uh if you're interested come on down it's going to cost 9 bucks i think entering Cranksgiving is i believe it's free uh it might cost a couple bucks for the t-shirt uh all of the all the food that is garnered during the race is donated to Para Los Niños. Okay, this is 99 cent store food? 99 cent. 99 cent. Nine, nine stops, not, 99 cents. Not 99 cent store. 99 cent store. Food from 99 cent store? I believe that's what they're going for this time. Oh, they got food. So, they, got, they got food. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's, it's off-brand stuff, but hey, it's all right. So uh, You know, maybe it's worth letting folks know just how the Cranksgiving event actually works. Cranksgiving event. Cranksgiving is an alley cat where folks start off at a central location. Everybody's given a list of stores that they have to stop at. Now, you route your, you have to route yourself. You bike from store to store. You run in, you grab 
what you need to get from each location. You've got to save the receipts, just proving that you went there. And you grab it, and you get through the line as fast as you can. You get out. Whoever hits all the stores first drops off the food then at Paralos Ninos, which is a, a nonprofit near downtown. And uh, all the food is going to be – it gets donated and is used for Thanksgiving for the kids and for the families out there that, that don't have any place. And whoever wins it generally gets bragging rights for an entire year. This is the longest-running alley cat here in Los Angeles at nine years, and it's based off of an idea that came out of New York, I think, 13 years ago, something like that. And we, we me and Steve and I uh, saw one, uh, I guess it was, a, was it last year? I think so. I think we, we actually took part. We gra- well. gathered up our neighbors. We didn't really, we weren't in that top competitive elite level. Yeah. Oh, you guys were in the top tier for like, uh, probably at least the first two or three minutes. I maybe, saw you guys. Maybe yeah, so. Maybe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we did come an hour late, so. Ah. But yeah, you know, you get a uh, like a laminated card, um, and then after you've gotten each item and you're on your way out, there's usually a volunteer that gives it a punch. You know, punch the punches your card, and you got to get the whole card filled up. But yeah, it's uh, quite. You remember a uh, who won last time? I do. I think you want to say who it was. He was a frequent guest on our show. A uh, fa- founder of the bu- L.A. County Bicycle Coalition. Did he? Uh, is he the person who got the bike racks put on buses? Uh, he somebody? he actually he worked really hard on that campaign. So not only the bike racks on buses, but also the uh, bicycles on the metro. Here's uh, the best part about you know his, his win. Name, call in two one three two five two zero nine nine eight. Here's the best part about his win. He actually had to double back. He had gone to a store, got the item, but forgot to I think get. His card punched. So even with a doubling back, he still won. And that was that was the I think the second year in a row for him. Yeah. So uh, so very you quick guy. Secret. Do I know his secret? Yeah. I EPO. know. EPO. What is that? EPO. <laughs> right. The drug EPO. known as EPO. You know, I can tell you the secret that I think. <laughs> I think it, the, the 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 best thing you can do is be wise about the route you plan. That that. That and getting through those lines the at the grocery lines. store. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He had this. He would have this big smile, and he'd be like, just folksy kind of, which is just the way he is. I guess. Ca- carry a wheelchair with you. That's what. That's what I'm saying. For those of you that are, and the LA Greensters, they can actually put something together to help you. Let's say you needed to get that wheelchair in and out of there. <laughs> so, uh, but no, get get through the lines as quick as you can, and you're gonna win. You gotta so. cut to the front. Cut to the front. Route yourself well. Uh, those are those are the most important things you can do. So, all right. So we are wrapping up. Ron Milam, Ron Milam. For those of you guys listening, uh, looking for the winner there, we Ron Milam. Do he's we, the one to beat. Set your sights on him this year. So will he be participating this year? Probably. Right? He has to defend his title. I would hope so, but uh, we we can't have a three peat. Come on, guys. Yeah. Come on, somebody get out there. Uh, no hat tricks this year. I yeah. might just go out there. No, I got. Now you have a movie night for Kill Radio tonight. Yeah, it's at two o'clock in the afternoon. Two o'clock in the afternoon. Echo Park Cycles. Uh, it's on Echo Park Boulevard, up at near the corner of Effie, I think, is the street. But uh, it's it's up Echo it's Park, Park Boulevard. Two p.m. in the afternoon. Cranksgiving, the first early one that that I think has been held. The first time it's been held on a Saturday. This is the ninth year in a row. Go by. They've, I've seen the designs for this stuff. It is really cool. So it's going to be a fun race. Uh, also, 
giving everybody a little bit of a heads up here. But uh, next Saturday, is it? November 28th, uh, 1 p.m. at Hollywood Adventist Church. Come on by. It's the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Uh, give you a chance to ride off some of that turkey. Um, go out there, join the Bicycle Riders Collective, and get your voice heard. Get on the ground floor of uh, infrastructure change here in Los Angeles. So, and By the way, you know, I just happened to notice this week the there's a little magazine that's uh, in the free dispensers called Brand X, and they had a big, big feature on uh, bikes in L.A. Um, so just as... Nice yeah. surprise to see them covering bikes more. I don't know yeah. if you guys saw that. But, yeah. So shout out to Brand X. Yeah. Also newsworthy coming up, we are going to have uh, there's going to be a fundraiser for Roadblock of Midnight, Ri- Midnight Riders. Uh, going to be doing a fundraiser at Orange Twenty December fifth. Come on by that. Uh, it's a Saturday evening and bring a T-shirt. There's going to be some screen th- printing going on. Uh, also, December 6th, gonna be the toy ride for, uh, El Nino, the El Nino toy ride, uh, gonna be at the corner of Vermont and Santa Monica at 6 p.m., I believe. Oh, 1 p.m. as well. 1 p.m., December 6th, 1 p.m. Not 6 p.m. Not 6 p.m., 1 p.m. And, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. Anything else going on these, this week, guys? Right. We, we, we were running a little late this morning, so, but we have a, a couple of really good interviews for next week. We've got Bikero Babes from the uh, mm-hmm. from the Bikero Wave. Yeah, Bikero. Uh, it's the the women's night at, at Bikero Wave and uh, on Venice in uh, in Venice, and they are allowing men in. They said if you wear a dress, you can come if you're a man, which is you know setting a precedent. And it turns out you don't even really need a dress. Not a precedent. A dressident. A dressident. <laughs> So, oh my God! Um, so there's a dressident being set at Biker Wave. When, when did that happen? When uh, does that happen? That that is uh, every Tuesday night, I believe. Okay, and then uh, then also I think we've got part two from Madison, Wisconsin, with Richard Schwinn at yeah. the uh, Waterford Factory. Cool. By the way, I was pleased to hear on NPR this week a feature on a very big bike ride they did in Washington D.C., which was Victorian themed. Everyone dressed up the old style, and they even had some penny farthing bikes so i'm always pleased to hear the national media picking up on the growing bike interest so it's a little tidbit spokes the section oh, yeah. in the new the, york times uh, i also spent some time this week on the spokes page of the new york times online edition it's a section they have devoted entirely to bike issues and it's very well done they had some familiar faces including noah noah budnick noah budnick yeah yeah mm-hmm. um and some other things, um, including proposed sort of concepts of what New York streets could look like with some very um, very innovative bike uh, integrations. Uh, there's, I guess, a Danish contingent was in town for some sort of a bike event, transportation thing, but they had some real cool sort of digital images of what, basic streets like Broadway would look like with these very new, cool changes. Well, they're already making a lot of changes. Yeah, um, Nick, you were yeah. back recently. Did you see some of that stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's great what they're doing. I mean, they have the great west side bike path. They got the east side bike path. These go along the rivers. Um, so you can go all the length of Manhattan just without you know competing with cars. And Did you get a chance to see the High Line thing? 
Yeah, the Highland Park. I saw yeah. that. That was great. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and they have that protected bike path on, on Broadway, which yeah. is like a busy street, but they have the protected bike path. Yeah. Um, I got an interview with uh, Transportation Alternatives Communications Director, so I'll cut that together and I'll, I'll have that up for next week, hopefully. Great. Yeah, we're definitely moving into the holiday season here. Doesn't feel like it weather-wise so much, but... I know, it's great out here. Yeah. So, um, I guess we are... Are we? Do we have something else coming up right now? Uh, or well, uh, It might be nice to kind of go out... Look at you. ...in the, uh, the Tweed Ride. DC cyclists are doing That's uh, the one. Tweed Ride, bringing Dapper back to the bike lane. So, uh... We actually pulled up the story here. There's some interesting photos on it. Um, we're, we will switch to switch over to this. We're, we're going to steal this from, directly from NPR. So, <laughs> yeah, thank you, NPR. Yeah. Uh, it's Thanks, nice. NPR. It's nice when you guys get involved every once in a while. This is about two minutes forty three seconds. Supporting your your web your webcasters, your local webcasters. So we're we're going to go off on this. I think. Um, I'd like to thank everybody who has been a part of this show. I'd like to thank our interviewers, interviewees, Chris Nury with FitKit out of Billings, Montana, uh, Mark Muller with Waterford Precision Cycles in Waterford, Wisconsin. I'd like to thank Kevin Sparrow with Cog Magazine and uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'd like to like to thank Jeremy Grant coming into the studio today with the Jeremy. Bike Riders Collective, JeremyGrant.com, and. Also, I'd like to thank you guys, Stephen Bowers and Nick Richard, for your involvement here. Uh, I'm Jim C. Until next week, stay safe out there, guys, and keep the rubber side down. And we turn now from multicolored mohawks, leather jackets, and skin-tight black jeans to tweed vests, knickers, and knee-high socks. The dandies were out in full force yesterday here in Washington, D.C., touring the city on bicycles. It was the district's first tweed ride, a jointy mix of Edwardian and Victorian fashion and 21st century bike culture. NPR's Shireen Marisol Maraji went along for the ride. You got a registration number, right? Yeah, yeah, I got to okay. around yeah. Eric please, Brewer uh, is please. frantically trying to organize the hundreds of riders that turned out for his event. It's part fashion show, part celebration of the bicycle. He was inspired by a similar ride that took place a few months ago across the pond. I uh, started in London in uh, the beginning of the year, swept across the world. D.C. has not had one yet. Due to the grace of God, good weather, and volunteers, we're launching. Brewer wants the world to understand that you don't have to wear spandex to enjoy an autumn ride through town. And that's evident by the sheer number of people who have gathered in northeast Washington, D.C., resplendent in flat caps, cashmere ties, and high-waisted skirts. I'm wearing a tweed skirt um, with a sweater vest and a jauntily tied scarf around my neck, and Oxford heels, because a lady never wears flats. Rebecca Banks stands next to her friend Laura Cassarelli, who's riding what she calls an accidental vintage bike. It's something from the late 1970s she bought on Craigslist because, as she puts it, she's cheap. Eddie Nino, on the other hand, brought out two of his finest old-timey steeds. I love vintage bikes. This is a 1957 train. And this is a 62 Schwinn, just single speed, very heavy, probably not the best choice for this long ride. But <laughs> Participants were encouraged to ride vintage bikes, but no one really cared if you were riding a high-tech mountain bike or straddling a Victorian penny farthing. Whether your handlebar mustache was real or it looked like you made it out of cardboard and cat fur. Shireen Marisol Miraji, 
NPR News, Washington. And you can see photos from the Tweed Ride at our blog, The Two-Way, at npr.org.